all of us, whether we're living on the coast or in Eastern Oregon or anywhere in between, want some of the same basic things for, for our families and the people we care about to be healthy and happy and safe and nearby and to have some some prospect for a, a brighter future. And if we can start from that understanding, I think it makes possible to do a lot of other things together. Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at amplifypdx.com. Support for this podcast is also provided by the PDX Executive Assembly, a membership of leaders from Portland companies, led by executives from the Trailblazers, Adidas, Yakima, and more, Assembly's curated cohorts of executives serve to accelerate leadership development and build a meaningful network of peers, free from press and sales solicitation. Join now at pdxexecutiveassembly.com. From ThatCast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast a show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm looking forward to speaking with our next guest who I've had on before and I rarely have politicians on and I wouldn't say he is a politician necessarily, yes. but he is running for Oregon candidate for governor. So I'm excited to have Tobias Reed on. Hey, Tobias, good to see you. You too. Thanks for making an exception and allowing me to, to have this conversation. <laughs> so, you know, you are currently the uh, state treasurer for Oregon, um, but I want to just, for some reason, if folks are not familiar with you, love for you just to give a little, uh, introduce yourself, a little uh, background. Sure. Well, I, as you say, I'm fortunate to serve as state treasurer right now. I worked at uh, Nike for a number of years, served in the legislature, uh, a lot of overlap between those. So kind of have the, what for me feels like a nice combination of, of private sector and public sector experience and running for governor. I'm definitely drawing on all of those and the the variety between legislative and, and executive experience, because a lot of what we see right now, I think is frustration um, that that stems, at least to my mind, from the disconnect between the good intentions we often have in Oregon and our lack of follow through execution. It's it's great to have good ideas, to pass bills, to appropriate money. But when we make a promise that we don't keep, uh, I think that is doing a disservice uh, to our capacity to take on so many of the big challenges that are in front of us. Great. So I want to dig into a, a couple of the things that maybe kind of surround that, what you just talked about. But first, can you just talk a little bit about your time as being the treasurer? I know we talked about last time you were on the podcast, really the Oregon Saves program, which sure. you've been instrumental in, you know, ramping up and offering to Oregonian. So I'd love to hear uh, some of that. Yeah, I think the, the treasury is an interesting place because it's sometimes misunderstood. You know, we don't decide the budget there. We're not uh, responsible for tax collection. Uh, we're really a, a hub for financial services uh, for, for the state and, and for Oregonians as individuals in a lot of cases. We manage the, the portfolio of the state, we issue the state's debt, and increasingly we're offering a, a suite of uh, financial empowerment programs to Oregonians. And that's that's what Oregon Saves is an example of. We recognized uh, a number of years ago that there was a problem in Oregon, and it's, it's not one that's unique to Oregon. Uh, it's true for people around the country. About half of people who are working 
don't have access to a retirement plan at work. And if they don't make a change in that somehow, they have to choose between retiring into poverty or, or not retiring at all. And that's that's no yeah. kind of choice. So we've changed that in Oregon and, and we're the first state in the country, I hope Oregonians are as proud of it as I am, mm-hmm. to offer an opt-out retirement plan. So what that means is that if you're an, an employer in Oregon and you don't choose to offer your own retirement plan, you're obligated to facilitate ours. So as an employer, you say to your employees, unless you tell me otherwise, 5% of your wages are going into your IRA. Now, the employee can choose any other number, including zero. They can choose mm-hmm. not to participate, but most people stay in. And so we're, we're five years in now. We've got about 115,000 people who have funded IRAs and they're on their way to building the sort of retirement that they want for themselves. I think everybody ought to be excited about that. Even if you are a person whose only interest is in small government, I think this should appeal to you because when people have their own money, they're going to need less help from us as as taxpayers. Mm-hmm. So these 115,000 people have have saved over $150 million. And you know wow. the, the markets are volatile as of late, but generally the idea of putting, you know, of people putting money away, especially when they're getting used to that earlier in their career, um, is a is a really good habit. Yeah. Well, I want to come back to that. But one of the things I wanted to uh, talk about is I grew up in Oregon. I'm from Southern Oregon. I think that's no secret. And when you look at the state, there is that kind of rural urban divide that's Mm -hmm. talked about for a long time. So just I I know you live up here like I do in the metro area. Just talk about that being a governor for all of Oregon. And, you know, it is real kind of some different parts of the state uh, as far as uh, politics and just the type of economies that are in Southern Oregon, Eastern Oregon. So I'd love to hear from you about that. Yeah, it is. You know, it's a it's a really great thing to to live in a in a geographic state that that has such diversity. And I I can think of this a number of times as a as a legislator and as treasurer, where you know, in the course of a couple of days, I might be in Eastern Oregon and. Mm-hmm. Burns or Baker City or something, and then the next day be in Coos Bay or you know, the, just the the it is a really physically striking uh, difference uh, across those those places. Uh, but fundamentally, what I've also observed is that people are largely the same. They can have different circumstances, but all of us, whether we're living on the coast or in Eastern Oregon or anywhere in between, want some of the same basic things for for our families and the people we care about to be healthy and happy and safe and nearby. Uh, and to have some some prospect for a, a brighter future. And if we can start from that understanding, I think it makes possible to do a lot of other things together. So if I'm fortunate enough to be governor, I'm going to show up in those places with humility, not with the idea of saying, I'm here to tell you what you need to do or how you should think about things, but to ask uh, with sincerity, what do you perceive to be the opportunities, the barriers, the challenges, and how do we transform government from being know, in opposition to those things and and into a partner for trying to, to overcome some of our challenges. I think when you can do that, you can create some really unusual combinations. And, you know, I think everyone who's fortunate to be in public service probably has a list of the things they're most proud of. At near the top of the list for me is this experience we had with the Elliott State Forest, uh, a challenge that has been present on the scene, you know, going back decades. But by asking these different questions, we've now got a, a pathway um, to the to the largest research forest in North America that has the support of environmentalists, conservationists, and the timber industry, and allows us, I think, to be in a in a position to to transform an industry that's obviously been a huge part of our past and is going to continue to be uh, an important part of our future. So 
it's urban and rural, yes, but I think when we can, you know, go, come above that, that and mm-hmm. not not uh, succumb to the idea of saying everyone is is locked into these positions, we can ask mm-hmm. different questions and have uh, really interesting and different coalitions. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I mean, you, sh- you mentioned Coos Bay. Shout out to Coos Bay. I lived in Coos Bay for a while. I grew yeah. up in Grants Pass. Yeah. And I think, as you know, we're at this inflection point in the state of Oregon where I think people want that. They're hungry for it, right, to come together. So thanks thanks so much. Um, One of the things I want to, you know, it's really important to people kind of uh, that I, I guess, my stage of life, I have young kids. And most of the people I'm surrounded by right now have young kids. And especially through the pandemic is the the child care issue. I mean, I, I think you probably have a lot of data of this. A lot of folks have dropped out of the workforce. I yep. mean, I, my wife has because it's just so hard to find childcare for two working parents right now, especially yep. young. We're talking three-year-old yeah. uh, kids. So I know that's an important part of your, your um, kind of platform. So we'd love to you know learn about that. Yeah, it is. I mean, this this is, uh, there's so many places to, to start that conversation. Yeah. It's personal for me too. Um, we have a, a seventh grade uh, daughter and a third grade son. So we're sort of coming out of some of the, the really intense portions of that need, but it's it's easy for me to remember. And I was struck by something else you said. Um, as you said, you know, it's it's hard to find a childcare. That's certainly true. But even if you're lucky enough to find it, it's hard to afford it. And, you know, yeah. here we are you and I are talking remotely um, with the advantage of, of having jobs that we can mostly do remotely. Not everybody mm-hmm. has that opportunity either. And I think one of the real lessons from the pandemic, in addition to what you said, is how essential and central the role of, of schools are. When they're not closed, I mean, when they are closed, when they're not open, uh, it's it's kids that suffer most directly, their, their academic progress and their mental health. But families do too, because many people are faced with that choice of, caring for their child or keeping their paycheck. And that burden falls disproportionately on, on families you know, who are in the, in the middle or lower end of the income spectrum, and especially on women. Look, look back at the yeah. middle of the pandemic and, and find women at the like 1980s level participation in labor markets. Um, wow. And that, that doesn't just recover. So all of that is a long preface to, to a, a statement I can make with, with high conviction that as the state's chief investment officer, there's no better investment than in Oregon kids. And that starts with accessible and affordable childcare and make sure that people have that opportunity to get off to a, a good start and that families have a chance to put themselves on a, on a good economic path. So we, we've got a whole range of things that we need to do to make it easier for people to have that access and, and be able to afford it. Um, there need to be more opportunities, more more places. They need to be better staffed with with people who can see a a career path for themselves. Instead of having this work be sort of an afterthought and and underpaid, it's got to be one of our most important investments to make sure that that that's an attractive thing for someone to to begin doing. That they can continue that the the skills and experiences they can accumulate can continue to be at work uh, on behalf of Oregon kids and. We have, you know, again, this is just like we were talking about before, the um, state can turn into a partner to make it easier for, for new facilities to open um, from, from the access to, to, um, to, to taking advantage of economies of scale. So multiple small facilities can combine um, some of those back office uh, functions. So we can take advantage of, of purchasing power and, at, at scale. 
to just the regulatory things, to having a standard kind of uh, a, a regular standard as to as to what is required of a childcare facility. All of these things, I think, are, are ways that the state can can play a, a role in un- unlocking, unleashing uh, the capacity that can have such a, a downstream effect to the rest of the economy and, and the lives that, that kids and families are leading in Oregon. Yeah. And so just to, to kind of to clarify, you know, when we talk about universal pre-K, I know kind of the Portland metro area, I don't, they passed this a couple of years ago, I guess, in Portland, excuse yeah. me. Multnomah County. Right. Yep. Multnomah County. Um, yep. So I don't think that's quite rolled out yet. That's being funded by, I believe, a, a tax on certain high earners. You got it. So is is that also part of your vision? What when you say partnership, maybe not necessarily that though. Just like I said, providing some of the services yeah. support. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming back on that because that's a little bit more specific. I, I I took your first question and probably ran too fast around the child no, good. question because yeah. uh, I feel passionately about that. But but yes, pre K is is certainly something that I feel strongly about as well. And and I give credit um, to Multnomah County for for taking on this path. But I don't think that there is anything that suggests that, that Oregon kids outside of Multnomah County are any less deserving. So mm-hmm. I think the, the state has a, an opportunity and a responsibility to try to make similar investments. We can learn from the experience in Multnomah County as to how it was structured and as to uh, how it's being uh, rolled out. And I think we can we can continue to, to build on that uh, statewide. I'm not married to the to the specific structure of how that's that's paid for. Um, you know, we have their, their resources statewide. It, it reminds me in some ways the debate that I was part of in the legislature around full day kindergarten. Um, but now, happily and fortunately, we, we're not having that debate anymore. Full day kindergarten is, is an understood norm. And I think we should we should strive to make the same uh, happen for, for pre-K. Yeah. Gosh, you, you say that. So my, you know, my son's in first grade. Uh, so he just went through kindergarten and it's hard to imagine not having full day kindergarten anymore. Right. And like where, where I grew up, when I grew up, you know, I don't even know if we went an hour a day out it, or it was a ra- required. So yeah, Oregon, the right? joke so, just get your coat taken off and it's time to get ready to go home. Right. Yeah. So that is so, I, I would love to see universal pre-K have the same folks think the same way. Like, I can't believe we didn't have that in this state, right? Right. Right. We should get there. And it's not that far off because the gains are so obvious. And it's so, I mean, the, the bulk of that debate, as I recall, it was, um, you know, we don't have enough money for, for education. And that to me is a, is a separate question, but let's take whatever we do have and, and make it, you know, make it do its work where it's going to have the most impact. And clearly, if you can get kids off to a strong start in their educational experience, they're going to be better off later on. It's going to require less intervention, less, um, you know, additional work. If, if they have that strong start, pre-K and, and, and full-day kindergarten are both strong examples of that. Yeah. Uh, okay, Tobias, I'm going to ask you a question that might, I don't want to be uncomfortable, but it's I fun. think a lot of folks ask yeah. uh, when you run for a position like the governor, it's so scrutinized. So mm-hmm. just for you personally, why are you doing it? I mean, obviously we do your platform and we, we that, but yeah. I want to know, like, you know, it's important well, for us now. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story that will seem a little unrelated at first, but when I was in, in college, I was a rower. And the, the coolest thing about being a rower is that you end up going a lot farther as part of a boat than you ever could as an individual. And you remember the movie Hoosiers, uh, the, yeah. the, the underdog uh, team. That's kind of what we were as, as rowers. We were, you know, I was on the first team that had varsity status at Willamette, mm. Vision 3 school, but we'd show up and uh, people sort of laugh at us. I don't think the boat that we rode in was actually the boat from Boys in the Boat, but it, it felt like that. And so we'd row in these races and the most of the time, 
the, the level of satisfaction I felt afterwards had nothing to do with where we finished relative to, to other boats. It was the few times over the course of three years that I was, was a rower, I, I came there as a sophomore, when, when we finished the, the, uh, the race, that I didn't have the experience within about 15 seconds of a little voice in my head saying, you could have gone a little harder, could have done mm-hmm. a little more. A few rare times when I just said that was it, that's when I felt satisfied. And I feel like we're sort of in that spot in Oregon right now. There's so much untapped potential. There's so much you know, that, that we can do together that we're not doing because we're not following through, because we're not executing on our good intentions. And uh, I don't want to be in a position of thinking I, I could have helped um, without doing that. They're, they're, it's, for me, we need to be measuring ourselves, ourselves and, our, and our, our state as a whole based on the well-being of kids. When I think about all the things that, that we want to, uh, we need to overcome. Um, it's all in kids and the potential is there. And if we're not doing our job to give them every chance to live up to their full potential, then I think we're sacrificing the, the opportunities that are in front of us. So that's, that's the reason. Yeah. Thank you. Well, a couple of things, more things I want to tackle. Um, I appreciate your time is most of the folks that listen to this podcast, they're business owners, uh, they're executives at companies. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, be Oregon as a quote unquote, business friendly state you mm. know, or area even. So I guess economically, what are some of your thoughts about bringing more companies here or just creating more, giving incentives to create more businesses here? Well, I think we should start, back up even a step from that and, and have a conversation uh, as a state about what it is we, we want to be. And get to the point. I mean, we could have a good discussion about what it, you know, what our definition of a good employer is, how to treat the community and workforce and natural environment, all those sorts of things. But fundamentally, it's really hard for me to imagine someone uh, having a real part of that conversation and not being clear that, that we need a growing economy um, to, to achieve all these other things that we want. We need more employers, more jobs, higher wages, all of those things. And so I think the tone at the top really matters. Economic success is something to be sought, cultivated, celebrated, not, not um, you know, uh, pushed away or, or vilified. That, I think, is, is the most fundamental transformation we need to make. I want us to be a place that entrepreneurs and employers want to be. And there's all kinds of elements that have to be part of that equation. The obvious things around educational infrastructure physical infrastructure, um, a court system that can be relied on, all of that sort of stuff that people I think are used to hearing about. But uh, you know, we shouldn't overlook the um, access to the outdoors and the natural environment and, and arts and theater and culture and all these sorts of things contribute because people, talented people have choices about where they want to live. And I, I want Oregon to be you know, on, on the top of the list for, for consideration. Eventually, I think it's a, it's a useful thing. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get to the point where, gosh, we have, we have so much uh, capacity here. We have to choose between recruiting companies and, and, and growing them. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's if all else equal, you know, let's, let's grow companies here because they're more likely to stay. But I'm never going to be a person who says all in one basket. I'm, I'm an investor after all, and um, I think we need a diversified strategy here. Um, but fundamentally, I think even it, it's more a matter of, of talking about the attitude we want to have with respect to economic development. Another thing, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but this is super helpful, I think, for folks. One of the things, personally, running a campaign 
I, I mean, I want to know about how it's been, what your team looks like. I mean, you have a day job. <laughs> You're yep. doing this. Here we are almost yep. exactly a week before the uh, primary election. So yeah, right. how has the experience been running a campaign? Well, it's been it's been really interesting. I think there's an advantage of having run statewide twice before. So um, I have some idea. Certainly, um, the governor's job is a different one than the treasurer's job, but it, it does help to have uh, had the statewide perspective and to to have some some connections and and people that I've worked with around the state. But it's and it, and it's also different. This is not the first statewide campaign I've run in the in the pandemic or in the, yeah. in the latter stages of a pandemic. Um, so that also helps. We do a lot more on on Zoom than than probably campaigns pre pandemic. There's you know some parts of that that are not quite as enjoyable as being in person, but it's it's a lot easier to to Zoom to Klamath County than it is to to, to yeah. <laughs> physically Zoom to to to, uh, to Klamath County uh, to pick on on one one example. So we're really just trying to to connect with people and not not get ahead of things because it's a primary election. Um, I'm seeking the votes mm-hmm. of Democrats, and if if I'm successful and as the the nominee, then I get to build on that and connect with people who who don't uh, participate in the Democratic primary. Fundamentally, we're all Oregonians, though, and I think we all want a lot of these same things. And and for me, it's it's about getting to to execution and competence. It's fun, you know, we don't. I, I don't know anybody right now who's satisfied uh, with with yeah. where things are, except maybe maybe my opponent um mm-hmm. but it's it's a matter of of trying to um to to connect that intention with execution yeah we'll talk about i mean i'm a marketing person so talk about that connection piece because you mentioned like how zoom can be helpful and these kind of things what are other kind of things you're finding that have not just effective but are like resonating with people now in this kind of post i don't know we're still in the pandemic kind of coming out of it slowly with different mm-hmm. things I, i'm mm-hmm. curious I have always liked uh, handwritten notes to people that that <laughs> works well at yeah. any time, uh, especially in an environment like this when so much is is mass channel kind of communication, the one on one, and and Zoom is closer to that, but but individual phone calls still make a big difference. Being able mm-hmm. to show up in person at places where it's safe to do so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like being outside anyway. So we did a, a fair yeah. bit of that throughout. Where we could show up somewhere yeah. and. You know, be wearing our masks and be at a distance when that was necessary. But there is there's something magic about that, and it's inspiring for me too to be in different places. I get I get tired of this view of my uh, camera and, and basement, uh, so it's <laughs> it's good to remind myself what a what a wonderful place we're lucky enough to live in. So, I, I think any any marketer, any um, campaigner will tell you that variety is really important too. Yeah, that's funny. Like I was just. Uh, noticed the other day, not one person has knocked on my door through this whole primary. Mm. And I'm, I'm actually bummed about that. <laughs> like, uh, and maybe where I live is just foregone or whatever. I don't know. But uh, I was, someone did put a flyer at my door. I'm like, gosh, I wish they would have just knocked on the door because <laughs> I would have yeah. talked to them. So it's kind of funny. Well, you're we're, you're we're, one of those well, nice people. I mean, even <laughs> the pandemic, um, not everybody had that enlightened attitude about it. I, I, I miss those days in a lot of ways running for the legislature because you do get to have those individual conversations, get that immediate feedback. It's a lot harder yeah. statewide, but um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward in this last week when there's there's more opportunity for that. I'm going to go knock on some doors with some other candidates and, and get a little dose of that. And it's, uh, 
it's it, it feels good when you can do that. Well, Tobias, any parting words for, I guess one thing I want to say is please go out there and vote. Yes. Um, I will be very transparent. Uh, I am independent, so I don't get the vote in the primary election. I know what you, you'll say. I should uh, switch uh, to, for the primary. But yeah. um, so that being said, I obviously encourage everyone to go out there and, and, and vote. So yeah. any um, parting words for folks? Well, I think you said it really well. Um, what we have in this in this uh, race is a is a contrast, a question about what sort of future we want. If we want more of the same, or we want to change. And for me, the evidence of the need for change is all around us, from from homelessness to gun violence to to uneven educational experiences. And and I really want to bring the the lessons from executive experience on the executive podcast um, to to the governor's office. It's worth remembering. I'm the only candidate in the race who's got. The endorsements of uh, two people who've actually done the job, Governor Kitzhaber and Governor Roberts. And Governor Roberts particularly, I think this is a message that will resonate with your audience, um, talked about how important it was for her in coming to the governor's office from the Secretary of State's office. So she had that statewide executive experience. And that's, uh, you know, I want to learn, bring those lessons, the, the things that I've learned in the, in the treasurer's office to the governor's office so we can actually execute and make government live up to its promises. Um, and I'd, I'd love to have people's votes. Tobias, thank you so much for your time. Good luck this week. And then um, we'll, we'll see what Tuesday brings. Yes, we will. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for the time. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.